0: Well good morning, good afternoon or good evening wherever you're wherever and whenever you're listening, um, this is Pastor Ryan with our weekly PVN students um, walking through the book of Galatians. Last week you guys were blessed by Frank Murphy who who came and, and helped me out while I was getting ready to preach on that Sunday. Frank kind of did an overview of Galatians chapter one, just kind of a, a summary. And now that that's over, we'll get into Galatians chapter two. Um, let's just get right into it, shall we? Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 10. I'll read it all, and then we'll take it in pieces. So Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Then after an interval, an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. So the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But for those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked with me to the Gentiles, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The only thing they asked us to the only thing they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Well, good thing that's not confusing or wordy at all. So let's get into it in pieces. Um, and we're going to take this about as slow as you can. You can so, Galatians chapter two verse one. Then we'll stop right there. Wow, so rich, right? So much. Uh, then applies to what came before, right? So something happened. Then chapter two, chapter one happens. Then we get into chapter two. So let's go back and connect the dots. So remember, Paul is trying to fight against arguments made by the Judaizers. Men and women saying that becoming a Christian isn't having faith in Christ, you have to become a Jew as well, like one from Judah, Judahizers, Okay, That's what Paul is taking on here. They are adding to the gospel, and they are also trying to subtract from Paul. So they're adding to the gospel, but also trying to subtract from Paul, try to um, damage his reputation as a teacher so that they won't listen to his message. They're saying, Paul got this from Jerusalem, but he's only got half the story. He only heard the Jesus part. There's actually more to it. We're from Jerusalem as well. We have the whole story. Listen to us. And Paul is responding and saying, Jerusalem? Look, I didn't get this from Jerusalem. Uh, In 1, 18 and 19, Paul says, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, which is Peter and stayed only 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So Paul's saying, I didn't even go to Jerusalem. I didn't get this from Jerusalem. I didn't even go to Jerusalem until three years after I became a Christian. And when I did, I didn't stay longer than two weeks. I got this gospel straight from Jesus Christ himself. It's not my stump speech or or just what I say. This is a part of me. That was Paul's first trip to Jerusalem. Then, chapter 2, 1 through 3. Chapter 2, 1 through 3. Then, there it is, after an an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private, to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This is probably Paul's second journey to Jerusalem. Okay, remember, the book of Acts is kind of a timeline, a big timeline in which most of these letters takes place. This is probably Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. It fits because in Acts 11.28, a prophet predicts a famine coming to Jerusalem. And that would correspond with Galatians 2.2, 2, where Paul says, it was because of a revelation that I went up to Jerusalem. That would be the prophet, right? The prophesying. So the church sends Paul and Barnabas to help with the famine. It sends, so they send a financial gift, probably some food as well. But Paul mentions here in Galatians that he also brought Titus. Titus was a Gentile. He was a Greek Christian, which means he was not Jewish, so he definitely was not circumcised. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, circumcision was the door that led you to the whole Jewish law. You couldn't be a Jew unless you were circumcised. Titus wasn't circumcised, which means he was not Jewish, But he was still a Christian, which is Paul's whole point in the book of Galatians. Titus is a personal example of Paul's doctrine in the book of Galatians. He's a Gentile Christian. He doesn't follow the Jewish codes and conduct, but he is still a Christian. That's why Paul uses him as an example here in Galatians. The Judaizers are coming in and saying, we know James and Peter, the whole crew. I played golf with John just last week. You need to follow Jewish custom in order to be a Christian. And Paul is saying, well, whoa, whoa, I brought Titus to the same group of guys, and they said he doesn't have to be circumcised. And if you don't have to be circumcised, you certainly don't have to follow all the other Jewish laws. So which is it, guys? He's using Titus to catch the Judaizers in a lie. The apostles did not give their blessing to you guys. They would never do this. If you had to follow the Jewish customs to be a Christian, don't you think they would have made Titus get circumcised at least? But they didn't. Notice also in verse 3, Paul doesn't even list the names of the apostles. That comes later. He He just says, those who were of reputation. The word there really is Those who seemed of reputation. He's basically saying, well, I guess they seemed important. Now, Paul's not trying to be rude or dismissive by playing down the apostles. They were his brothers. But he's also not idolizing them. And the reason he's not idolizing them has nothing to do with them, but that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were idolizing the apostles, saying, well, listen, we've heard this from the apostles. So you've got to believe this. And Paul's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're putting so much stock, one, you're lying, but two, the apostles are not the one who this ultimately comes from. They're just they're bringing their message from Jesus Christ, which is who I got the message from. So the apostles and I are on the same footing. It's not about them. It's about Jesus, which is what the apostles would say as well. James introduces himself in James chapter 1 as James a servant of God. Peter calls himself in 1 Peter, a fellow shepherd. There is no fancy title. They got that. They see themselves the way Paul sees them. It's almost like the Judaizers don't even know the apostle Paul. Excuse me. It's almost like the Judaizers don't even know Peter, James, and John at all. They're holding them to this super high standard, and Peter, James, and John don't even hold themselves to that high of a standard. They don't even see themselves as that awesome or high. Why? The fact that the Judaizers see them like that shows that they're on two different pages. They don't even know the apostles. They don't know their heart at all. But Paul does. Galatians 2, 4 through 6. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. Again, see in 6 how Paul has that parenthesis. and he says, who they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Meaning, the fact that the apostles were famous doesn't matter. God shows no partiality which is exactly what the apostles would say. Don't, don't listen to us because we're famous. Listen to us because we're telling you what Jesus tells you. God shows no partiality. He can use anybody. They're on the same page. But let's back up. In four, Paul calls them false brethren. These Judaizers are false brethren. Because remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. These people, these Judaizers talk about Jesus. Oh, we believe in Jesus, but you've got to do these other things too. So they use Jesus' language. They know the Romans' road. They know repent, believe, commit. They they know all these things. Yeah, you can walk the aisle, but you got to do this too. it's, It's false. They're false, brethren. They're wrong. Paul is doing what we must do as Christians, he is being wise. Paul doesn't say, well, they love Jesus too, it's just different. No, you can love Jesus and be wrong. You can believe certain things about Jesus and what those certain things that you believe that can make you wrong about the whole thing. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. There are people who say, Lord, Lord, who are not Christians. Lord, Lord, that's a very church, they they would blend in, they know the language but they're not believers. And Paul says we have to be wise. We have to know what we see when we see people, when we look at ourselves. We may say, Lord, Lord, but do our actions, do our lives show, Lord, Lord? That's what Paul's saying. They may use the same language, but this other doctrine that they're teaching about being a Jew to become a Christian, adding something to the gospel, that makes them an enemy of the gospel. Verse 5, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. We didn't give an inch. That's what he's saying. We didn't submit to their belief even for an hour. We didn't give them an inch. As Christians, unity is a big push right now. And that's okay. It it should be. We've got to be united. Let's be united. And that can be good, but unity can become an idol. Let's not talk about gender issues. People will get mad. It'll threaten church unity. Let's not dig too deep into what Jesus says here. Some people may not like it, and it'll threaten church unity. In the 1800s and 1900s, it was so long ago. No, it wasn't, guys. In the 1800s and 1900s, do you know what one of the biggest arguments was against church integration? Not school integration, church integration. If we let black people into our churches, it'll threaten church unity. Do you see how backwards that is? How that makes no sense at all? Verse 5 again, But we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Paul knew that if you have to shove the gospel under your desk for the sake of unity, it's not unity, it's satanic. It's false. And as you guys get older, you have to think about what you hear and what you sing. Paul, who loved people we just need to love people. Well, Paul agreed, Paul loved people better than anyone else. And he says we didn't give an inch to these people. But what about church unity, Paul? It's not church unity if they're not part of the church. Now, of course, they can come and visit if they're supposed to do that, but if they don't believe what the church believes, then they're not part of the church, whether their name's on the roll or not. You're actually hurting church unity by letting them in. Paul says this in verse 4, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in. They were already inside the walls. They were the ones who were threatening church unity, and they were in the church. We have to be careful. And in, in, uh, in 5, but we did not yield in subjection to them, even for a minute, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Sometimes you have to break unity to keep the gospel. That is so anti good old boy South mentality. Well, he knows so-and-so. We got, no, 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 no. I don't care about so-and-so. Does he know Jesus? Because if he doesn't know Jesus, he's not in the church. And that's not me. That's Paul. That's Jesus Christ. Letting everybody in is the quickest way to destroy church unity. And again, it's not letting everyone in to visit. Of course, they come visit and listen and learn and grow. Of course. But when it comes to being in the church... It, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the difference maker. What you believe about Jesus matters, and the way you protect correct doctrine, the way you protect correct belief, is by pushing away false belief. That's what Paul did. Six through nine. This is this is gets gets really wordy, but I, but we'll clarify six through nine. But from those who were of high reputation, that's the apostles, Peter, James, and John, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, that's the Jews, Verse 8, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, let me, I'll sum this up. Remember, the Judaizers were saying, we get our stuff from headquarters, from the apostles. You need to become a Jew. And Paul is saying, "No, whoa, 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 James, Peter, and John saw nothing wrong with what I was teaching. Do you see it in verse seven? No, I'm sorry. In verse six, at the end of verse six, the apostles contributed nothing to me. It doesn't. He's not saying they weren't worth anything to me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying they didn't. I, I presented to them my gospel, verse two. I presented to them my gospel, and they added nothing to it." They had no correction. There was no red ink on the paper. You know what I mean? There were no corrections. And so Paul's saying, now, wait a minute, Judaizers. You're saying that the Judaizers approved of your message, and they didn't like mine. But I went to Peter, James, and John and shared with them my message, and they didn't add anything to it. So which is it? Either they're lying or you are. They added nothing to my gospel, which was faith in Christ alone is what saves now, we need to be very careful there, because this is taking advantage of so much. Hey, Galatians, Christian freedom, Paul's talking about faith in Christ is all you need. Hit the keyboard again, let's play Reckless Love again, let's go for it. No, hang on, Paul does not mean here what is preached in hipster churches all over the world today where some so-called pastor in Yeezys and a Gucci jacket will get up and say something like, hey guys, works can't save you, only Jesus can. Let's hit the guitar again. Now, which is weird because I don't know how you can hear them because the keyboard's playing the whole time during their sermon, but that's another thing, that's my personal pet peeve. Now, it's true what they said. It's not about works. Jesus Christ is the one who saves. But that's not what they mean. When they say it, when these hipsters say it, they mean, hey, guys, just say that you love Jesus, and that's it. That's all you need. As long as you feel it in your heart, that's it. Just say you love Jesus. That's faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. And what they mean by that's it is nothing else has to happen in your life. That's it. And unfortunately, that's not just in hipster churches where everybody's younger than me. That's all over the South. You walk the aisle, done. That's it. You're a Christian. Welcome in. Nothing else has to change. That's it. That's like someone saying, all right, Ryan, just sign this marriage certificate with Kristen, and that's it. Yes, that is it, but that it that I signed, has just changed my life drastically. In fact, if my life doesn't change after signing that marriage certificate, after it, then there was no it. People think that faith in Jesus means you don't have to change. Works salvation, boo, works means you have to change. Faith in Jesus means you don't have to change. It's just faith in Jesus, that's it. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. Faith alone in Jesus results in a much deeper change than work salvation ever could. Think back to Galatians 1:13 through 16. Paul used to kill people for being Christians. Now he's ready to die for them. You don't think that's a change? He is not about, and Paul is not about work salvation at all, and none of us should be. That's not the gospel. Paul says, only faith in Jesus will save you. That is it. He's about grace and faith in Christ, and he's completely different than what he used to be. He is only about faith in Jesus Christ. And because he is only about faith in Jesus Christ, he has changed more deeply than works salvation could ever change someone. And yes, that does show up in His works. Faith in Jesus as your salvation means that you are hooking your life onto something completely different now. Your dreams, your desires, your needs, they all funnel through Jesus now instead of whatever they used to funnel through. That is a monumental change. Works Work salvation is surface level. Works can be faked. True faith, deep change, now that can't be faked, at least not for long. The reason the apostles did not add anything to Paul's gospel of faith alone is because they know how real of a change that is. In fact, works salvation, morality, do good, be good, take the AP courses, get into the good school, don't cuss, don't do this, that is a surface-level change. None of those things are wrong, but that is a surface-level change. To become a Christian is a much deeper change. You can take all the AP courses you want. You can say all the nice words you want. That, may ne- that will never impact your heart the way Jesus can and then, once Jesus, once your faith in Jesus happens, it will change your heart. So, it does affect what you speak. So, it does affect how hard you work. So, it does affect your, your ethics and desires. But if you go about it backwards, change the outside first, it'll never reach the inside. So, your change will never last. Paul's talking about a much deeper change. James, Jesus' half-brother, used to think Jesus was crazy. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and he appeared to James personally, his brother back from the dead. James was changed so deeply. Peter left his whole world behind. All three of these guys, Peter, James, John, and Paul, martyred. Faith alone in Christ alone will change everything about you. I don't think I have to change. I've got faith in Christ. If you haven't changed, you have no faith period. And that change looks different for different people, but you know whether you've changed or you haven't. You know whether your faith is genuine or it's not. See, the Judaizers have missed it. They're saying Gentiles need to change and become like Jews. Paul doesn't want them to change. Paul doesn't want you guys to change. We do. That, is, that can be further from the truth. Paul wants them to change deeper than the Judaizers do. But the Judaizers are trying to change their behavior. Paul's going after their heart. You can change your behavior, but it won't last. If your heart changes, your behavior will then change, and it will last. Last one, verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing, I was also eager to do. This fits in with Acts 11. Remember, remember the poor. There was a famine in Jerusalem. So of course, which you would know from Acts 11, there's a famine in Jerusalem. So of course, James would say, look out for the poor. It's a famine. There are so many poor people out there. But there's something else here. It's very popular right now to say, see, helping other people is great, but that's not the gospel. We need to get away from all this other stuff and just preach Jesus. We need to be very careful when we say that. The apostles, eyewitnesses, servants of Jesus. Verse two, listen to Paul's presentation of the gospel. I would pay next month's rent to personally hear Paul present the gospel. And at the end of it, all three of them said the only addition they had was, you need to remember the poor. Now, n- not that Paul wasn't doing that. He was doing that. The whole reason he's there is to help the poor during the famine. And not that remembering the poor is the gospel. It's not. There are plenty of, poor pe- there are plenty of people who love the poor and hate Jesus. Therefore, they are not Christians. But the fact that Peter, James, and John, these aren't fools. This is Peter, James, and John. The fact that they heard Paul preach the gospel, and the first thing out of their mouth was, remember the poor. Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. We need to... Quit preaching about loving one another and get back to Jesus. Okay, fine. What did Jesus just say? He said, they will know you are my disciples. That's Christians. We need to focus on making people Christians. Well, How are they going to know that they're Christians? By their love for one another. We need to quit quit preaching about helping other people out. We need to quit preaching about helping oppressed people and get back to Jesus. I think Jesus would look at you and say, I have no idea what you just said. An apple alone, sitting by itself, is not the apple tree. It's not. The apple sitting by itself is not the apple tree. Of course it's not. But an apple is a very necessary part of the apple tree. And if that tree is not bearing apples, there is a serious problem. We need to quit worrying about people who are in trouble right now and preach the gospel. We need to stick to what the Bible says. Fine, the Bible, Galatians 2, verse 10. Jesus' half brother slash apostle says, Remember the poor, remember those who are oppressed. This is not just part of our job as You know, your job doesn't have to be you. Your job can be working at a pool and you hate swimming, your job doesn't have to be connected to you. This is deeper than just a part of our job as Christians. This should be part of our new nature as followers of Jesus Christ to love our brothers and sisters. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus says. And it was so important to the, to the apostles that as soon as Paul the Apostle finished preaching his gospel, They tack it on. This is how vitally important it is. Just because it's not the gospel doesn't mean it's not important or should be neglected. The gospel results in a heart change that that cannot be compared to anything else on this planet. This is what knowing Jesus Christ does. Outward behavior modification, which is what the Jews wanted. Moralism. Do this, don't do this, drink this, don't drink this don't say this, that's fine and good, but that's not going to change somebody's heart. And when we treat that as the gospel, it's anti-gospel because it can't do what only Jesus can. We have to remember faith in Christ is the key to changing our hearts and to changing our communities. Let's pray together.